The David Pakman Show at davidpakman.com. In a desperate and pathetic attempt to shift the blame, Texas Republican politicians and right wing media figures are lying to their own residents and to their audiences and claiming that green energy and windmills are responsible for the tragic power outages that have been taking place in the state of Texas in the midst of unusually but not completely unexpected cold temperatures there. And the reason that they are so desperate to lie about this is that it's not just a matter of accountability for the fact that there are now millions without power and without heat in Texas during some of the coldest weather that they've seen in a long time. But their entire political ideology is tied up in government doesn't really need to do stuff, meaning infrastructure spending. Green energy is bad. Their entire ideology is crumbling. And so now they are telling the lie that windmills are the reason that what's going on in Texas is now taking place. And these people include Republican Governor Greg Abbott not telling the truth. It includes Tucker Carlson. It includes many others. The problem in Texas is not wind energy, and we're going to go through it today. And out of this tragedy, there is the opportunity to inform about what happens when you ignore climate science. So here's what's going on. Uh, more than two million people are or have been without power in Texas. Why? Extremely low temperatures and snow are affecting the Texas power grid. Now, Republicans are saying the problem is wind power. Here is Tucker Carlson making the case. Good evening. And welcome to Tucker Carlson tonight. Happy Monday. Well, the Green New Deal has come, believe it or not, to the state of Texas. And we're here with the report. How's it working out so far? Well, the good news is all that alternative energy seems to have had a remarkable effect on the climate, as intended. Last night, parts of Texas got to temperatures that we see in Alaska. In fact, they were the same as they were in Alaska. So global warming is no longer a pressing concern in Houston. We've solved that problem. The bad news is they don't have electricity. The windmills froze, so the power grid failed. Now, there are two big lies there. The first is that cold weather in Texas disproves so-called global warming. This is an old one. Climate science predicts not just warmer global average temperatures, but localized record highs and record lows, more erratic weather, what we would call unseasonable temperatures, high and low. So Tucker's first point is terrible. The fact that it's cold in Texas doesn't disprove anything. In fact, it's predicted by by climate science. But second, Secondly, excuse me, Tucker says the reason for the blackouts is that the windmills froze. And this is so, so, so not true as a reason for what happened. And it's important to have the facts. Ice has forced some wind turbines to shut down. That's true. But wind power is only between 10 and 25 percent of the Texas energy mix at this time of year. The majority of the outages were caused by frozen instruments at natural gas, coal and nuclear plants that were not prepared for such cold weather, even though they could have been. And again, cold weather predicted by climate science models for decades. 
As meteorologist Quincy Vigel pointed out on Twitter, the power outages in Texas are in areas predominantly powered by natural gas. This was not caused by going green with some of Texas energy supply. But Republicans in Texas, desperate to blame someone else, are blaming wind power. Here is Republican Texas Governor Greg Abbott on Fox News last night saying what we're seeing in Texas right now is a preview of the Green New Deal. What good is it? Sean, this shows how the Green New Deal would be a deadly deal for the United States of America. Texas is blessed with multiple sources of energy, such as uh, natural gas and oil uh, and nuclear, as, as well as uh, solar and wind. Uh, but you saw from what Trace said, uh, and that is our wind and our solar got shut down, and, and they were uh, collectively more than 10 percent of our power grid. And that thrust Texas into a situation where it was lacking power in a statewide basis uh, that was power that was spread out by that ERCOT organization, organization that you were talking about. And then here is Fox and Friends this morning. But he said for the first time he's seeing a little bit of California now with what happened with the weather and the wind turbines. One of the things that the climate denial industry does is to sow doubt and to claim that there are controversies and unknowns where there are not. This is a really old playbook. It's described in the book Merchants of Doubt. They did it with smoking when they couldn't do it with smoking. They shifted to doing it with secondhand smoke. They did it with acid rain. They did it with the pesticide DDT. They did it with the hole in the ozone layer. They've been doing it with various elements of climate change, create doubt and manufacture a controversy where there isn't one. And I saw lots of people on online saying, I don't know, you know, there's just it's hard to know what the truth is about what's going on in Texas because each side has their view. We're going to have to wait. It's going to take time to figure out what the truth is about the role of green energy or not in what is taking place. No, we have the facts. Making it confusing is the playbook that they use. A wind is not even close to the main issue, and wind is actually outperforming energy output expectations for this time of year in Texas. Blaming the problems of frozen instruments at coal, natural gas, and nuclear plants on wind turbine freezing shows two things. Number one, they're lying to you. And number two, these are problems that have been solved in other states, but Texas has refused to actually deal with it. If in Texas they had accepted climate science, they would know, number one, we should expect more erratic weather. And because that can mean really cold weather, it means that we should weather proof not only the wind turbines, but the uh, coal plant instruments, the gas plant instruments and the nuclear plant instruments. Many other states have done this. Listen, it gets cold in Wyoming and Montana. They have wind power as well. There are known solutions to this. We're going to look in the next segment at a report from a decade ago based on prior power outages in Texas saying, here's the things you have to do to protect yourselves from this in the future. Extremely cold weather affects natural gas and oil pipelines because it changes pressure. It affects instruments at nuclear plants. This is not uh, 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 this is not new information and this is not unique to Texas. Texas could have chosen to weatherproof not just wind, nuclear and nuclear uh, wind, nuclear and natural gas, which are mostly their sources of energy, but also the wind turbines. And Texas got crushed because its operators and its politicians chose not to be prepared for cold weather. That's the story. Now, once people the priority is getting people power back, once people have power back and are safe, 
who is going to be held accountable for this? Because there are people responsible. Let's talk a little bit about the history of this story in Texas next. Uh, we are now uh, we've already gone through today the false claims that wind turbines are responsible for the power outages in Texas. That's not true. While some wind turbines did freeze, wind is responsible for a small portion of Texas energy, particularly at this time of year. The primary issue was frozen instruments at unprepared, not weatherproofed, a nuclear, natural gas and coal power plants, energy generation plants. Now, uh, not only were we aware for a long time that you should be prepared for cold weather, even in parts of the country that typically don't have it, because that's what climate science models predict warming overall on the planet with increasingly erratic uh, weather, uh, individual weather events in different places. But 10 years ago, Texas had this issue. And there's a very interesting op ed in the Fort Worth Star Telegram out of Texas, which points out public and private sector leaders may try to say there's no way they could have been prepared for this. That's a line of bull that no Texan should accept. This is an op ed from yesterday or today in 2011. Texas had what is uh, known as the epic storm that ruined the Super Bowl in Arlington. And agencies at all levels offered recommendations to address the problems that contributed to those outages and that none of the recommendations are not nearly uh, enough and not a sufficient amount of the recommendations were actually taken. Uh, this uh, was compiled into a report a decade ago. The report uh, is called was called Report on Outages and Curtailments During the Southwest Cold Weather Event of February 1 through 5, 2011 causes and recommendations. And that report pinpointed exactly where things went wrong, how to ensure that it didn't happen again in the future. Many of the measures that were recommended were not particularly expensive and they were not particularly difficult to implement, but they weren't done. So not only do we have lies being told now, to cover the fact that this has nothing to do with wind farms. We also have the negligence of a decade to fix a lot of these issues. Other states have done this stuff like this isn't it's not rocket science. It's climate science, I guess. It's really just basic engineering. Generators can be prepared for winter. Um, a lot of this stuff relates to adequately insulating and in other ways maintaining different instruments at nuclear, natural gas, as well as coal plants. Um, there was a list. I mean, look at the, the report. The, the report is not exactly exciting reading, uh, but the report makes it clear what needs to be done. In some cases, it's valves. I mean, this is not important stuff. It actually reminded me of the Deepwater Horizon oil spill in the Gulf where a five hundred thousand dollar some kind of I believe it was a gasket or a valve or something like that, a five hundred thousand dollar modification, five hundred thousand to each of these uh, drilling platforms could have prevented what ultimately was. I mean, what was it? Was it hundreds of millions? I don't even remember at this point uh, for BP what the total damages were, the environmental damage, et cetera. Uh, this this reminds me of that in many ways. Uh, also, by the way, even since 2011, it's not like this happened in Texas in 2011 
and then not for a decade. And then now it happened again and they opted not to do anything. This has actually happened to lesser degrees over the last decade, and Texas still didn't deal with it. So is anybody going to be held accountable? Someone should be the party uh, that's in charge in Texas is the party that claims to be about personal responsibility. We'll talk about one Texas mayor who resigned uh, in the last few days after making some insane comments about so-called lazy Texans, the people that had lost power. Uh, I guess that's sort of personal responsibility, but there needs to be responsibility and accountability at a greater level here. I don't know that there's an appetite for it, but it's going to happen again. We have an immediate tragedy. We shouldn't ignore that. There are people lacking power right now. But once that's fixed, what is going to be done? Because this is a real problem and it's one where solutions have been outlined. They've been sitting around, you know, the Trump administration had the pandemic response playbook. They ignored it. These recommendations have been sitting around Texas for a decade. And now look at the tragedy that is taking place. So we'll continue telling the truth about the role of different types of energy in this. And if you've fallen for the Tucker Carlson, Greg Abbott, whoever else, Fox and Friends line of this is what happens under the Green New Deal and renewable energy, uh, that's not true. But ultimately, someone has to be held accountable for this. Let me know who you think it should be. You can find me on Twitter at the Pacman. The David Pacman Show at davidpacman.com. One of our sponsors is Privacy, a free service that protects your credit and debit card. I use Privacy every time I buy something online. I installed the app on my phone and the Privacy desktop browser extension. Now, when I pay for anything, Privacy autofills a virtual credit card number. The money's taken out of my bank account. I don't have to give out my real card number or banking info to anyone. You can create and delete the virtual cards anytime. I especially love it for free trials because I can destroy the virtual card number as soon as I give it to the company and I know I won't be charged in the future. Privacy also has a feature called shared cards, which makes it easy to split payments with friends. Parents can manage a virtual card for their kid with spending limits. Businesses can manage virtual cards for employees to use for company expenses. There are premium plans available, but Privacy's regular service is totally free to use. And right now they'll give you five dollars just for signing up. When you go to privacy.com slash Pacman, you can find the link in the podcast notes. One of our sponsors is Sunset Lake CBD, a farmer owned company shipping super quality CBD directly from their farm to your door. They cut out the middleman, which saves you money and gets you the freshest possible product, which includes tinctures, flour, gummies, skin topicals, even CBD coffee, which I've really enjoyed. The whole team loves Sunset Lake CBD, especially their CBD oil and the gummies. We always say send us more. Every time we run out, CBD is reported as being useful for relieving stress, pain, inflammation. Some people use it before bed to help with sleep. And Sunset Lake is where you want to get your CBD because they pay employees a living wage. Their farm is sustainable. And of course, because they support progressive shows like ours, they're giving David Pakman show listeners 20 percent off when you go to davidpakmancom slash CBD and use the coupon code Pacman. That's coupon code P-A-K-M-A-N. You can find the URL in the podcast notes.
The David Pakman Show at davidpakman.com. Remember to grab a membership at joinpacman.com, support The David Pakman Show, get access to the daily bonus show, and if you would like, use the coupon code BETTER21 to get a big discount off of a membership. Joinpacman.com is the place to sign up. Uh, yesterday, as I've been following the terrible situation in Texas because of a winter storm, people lacking power, some lacking heat, and more. I came across a Ted Cruz tweet that I found suspicious. This is Republican Texas Senator Ted Cruz, who tweeted, quote, today, Senator John Cornyn and I sent a letter to President Biden urging for Governor Abbott's emergency federal disaster declaration request to be approved amid severe winter storms across the state of Texas. Now, when I saw this, I had an inkling that, wait a second, I remember Ted Cruz in the past when the natural disasters were in some other part of the country that he doesn't represent. I remember Ted being against disaster declarations and federal money for the affected states. So I went back into the TDPS archives and found that Yes, Ted Cruz really is a disgusting hypocrite on this issue. Back in 2012, when Hurricane Sandy ravaged the northeast of the United States, states like New York and New Jersey, Ted Cruz voted against providing federal aid to those northeast states. Why did he vote against it? Well, he said that the bill was symptomatic of spending money we don't have in Washington, D.C. But then in 2015, when there were floods in Texas, Ted Cruz wanted federal money for them. And then in 2017, when hurricanes hit Texas, suddenly Ted Cruz wanted federal money for Texas for that. And this actually came up on MSNBC back in 2017. Check this out. Uh, but a lot of people are pointing out that you voted against aid for Sandy after that catastrophic catastrophic storm up in the Northeast, that package back in 2012. Uh, and they're they're pointing at you and saying you're asking for money now when you weren't willing to help the people in the Northeast. What do you have to say to them? Well, you know, look, there's time for political sniping later. I think our focus really needs to be on this crisis Senator, and this disaster. That's right. It isn't political sniping. It's a pretty simple question of it appears that you can be counted on to push for money for disaster relief for your state, but to stand in the way of similar monies for non constituents. And eventually, Ted Cruz gives an answer. It's a completely bogus one. These are people who needed money and who needed funding right after that storm. I covered those people. Many of them, just like those in Houston, lost absolutely everything they owned. Well, Katie, Katie, of course, that's right. And, and the accurate thing to say is that I and a number of others enthusiastically and emphatically supported hurricane relief for Sandy. Hurricane relief and disaster relief has been a vital federal role for a long, long time, and it should continue. The problem with that particular bill is it became a $50 billion bill that was filled with unrelated pork. Two thirds of that bill had nothing to do with Sandy. And, and what I said then and still believe now is, is that it's not right for politicians 
politicians to exploit a disaster and people are hurting to pay for their own political wish list. Disaster relief needs to be focused on the victims of disaster relief, and I supported that for Sandy, disaster relief there, and I would support that anywhere there's a major disaster without getting getting distracted by, by, by political unnecessary pork spending. Oh, that bill had pork. I OK, I see. He's disgusting. And in fact, PolitiFact looked at this and it's a talking point that Republicans often used in their in defending their opposition to funding relief for Hurricane Sandy. Some of them would say 50 of the 60 billion in that bill is pork or two thirds of it is pork or 90 percent of it is pork. But the truth is that it was all lies. Now, it's not actually exactly clear how much of the bill from 2012 was specifically for disaster relief for Sandy because there was money in there for mitigation of future disasters. And as usual, there is some pork, but that's business as usual. That has nothing to do with where the disaster is. That's sadly how Congress works. It's horrible, but it's many of Ted Cruz's own Republican colleagues who were responsible for a bunch of that pork being in the 2012 bill. But here's the key thing. Um, when you talk about disaster relief, it should be part of it to prepare for the next one. When we talk about coronavirus now and the package that Democrats now want to get through, it includes money for rebuilding some of the infrastructure that Donald Trump destroyed, getting rid of the pandemic response team, throwing out the playbook, all of these different things. If we don't take steps to harden and make systems more robust, this is just going to happen again. And the idea that that's why Ted Cruz voted against it is absolutely insane. Now, let me be super clear. I don't want to punish people of Texas because Ted Cruz is a hypocrite. I want the people of Texas to get the money. I just want Ted Cruz not to oppose disaster relief when it comes to some other state but defiantly defend it when it's his own state. That's what's pathetic here. And Ted Cruz has a long history of doing this. Many Republicans have a lot. You know, we we're, we're talking about Ted Cruz now because he's involved in this because it's his state now. But the same thing happened in I'm, I'm going from memory here, but I believe it was in Oklahoma because of tornadoes when there were Republicans that were saying, of course, we need the declaration in Oklahoma. We need the federal relief money in Oklahoma. They had voted against Sandy relief in 2012 for New York and New Jersey. Um, I believe Tennessee. I mean, we'd have to look at the full list, but this is a type of hypocrisy that is not rare in the American right. And it's absolutely destructive. Ted Cruz is as disgusting as the rest of them. Donald Trump is officially declaring war on Republicans. Yes. On, I guess, what is still considered his own Republican Party. Donald Trump put out a statement yesterday going after many Republicans, but in particular, Mitch McConnell. Take a listen to this. Donald Trump putting out a statement through the Save America PAC, which is a pro Trump PAC. Trump can't tweet now, so he's putting it out through the PAC. Let's go through it and and look at just the the uh, uh, double speak that we see here. All right, let's get started. The Republican Party can never again be respected or strong with political quote leaders like Mitch McConnell at its helm. McConnell's dedication to business as usual, 
status quo policies, together with his lack of political insight, wisdom, skill and personality has rapidly driven him from majority leader to minority leader, and it will, will only get worse. So Trump here putting the blame of Republicans losing the Senate on everybody but himself. This is common. Trump does this all the time. Blame other people. The reality is that Trump's failures, including his failure on covid, are a big part of not only why he lost the White House, but why Republicans lost the Senate. So Trump blaming other people, he should be looking at himself. Trump going on. The Democrats and Chuck Schumer play McConnell like a fiddle. They've never had it so good and they want to keep it that way. We know our America first agenda is a winner, not McConnell's beltway first agenda or Biden's America last. In 2020, I received the most votes of any sitting president in history, almost 75 million. Now, remember, he lost by millions of votes. The real story is Biden got more votes than anybody ever. Trump goes on. Every incumbent House Republican won for the first time in decades, and we flipped 15 seats, almost costing Nancy Pelosi her job. Republicans won majorities in at least 59 of the 98 partisan legislative chambers, and the Democrats failed to flip a single legislative chamber from red to blue. And in Mitch's Senate over the last two election cycles, I single handedly saved at least 12 Senate seats. That's delusions of grandeur more than eight in the 2020 cycle alone. And then came the Georgia disaster where we should have won both U.S. Senate seats. But McConnell matched the Democrat offer of two thousand dollar stimulus checks with six hundred dollars. How does that work? It became the Democrats principal advertisement and a big winner for them. It was Trump ignores that neither David Perdue nor Kelly Leffler, the two Georgia incumbent Republicans who lost, were loudly out there talking about two thousand dollars. Understand that as well. So putting it on McConnell from another state when when uh, it doesn't really bear any resemblance to what actually took place there is very weird. Trump then goes on. McConnell then put himself, one of the most unpopular politicians in the U.S., into the advertisements. Many Republicans in Georgia voted Democrat or just didn't vote because of their anguish at their inept governor, Brian Kemp, secretary of state, Brad Raffensperger and the Republican Party for not doing its job on election integrity during the 2020 presidential race. This appears to be totally wrong. Trump is saying the reason Georgia incumbent Republicans, Purdue and Leffler lost is that Georgia Republican officials didn't didn't go with everything Trump wanted to try to steal the election from Joe Biden. The truth is many Georgia Republicans opted out because they were disgusted at Trump trying to steal the election and they didn't want to reward Leffler and uh, Purdue uh, by voting for them, given their alignment with Donald Trump. Trump continues. It was a complete election disaster in Georgia and certain other swing states. McConnell did nothing and will never do what needs to be done in order to secure a fair and just electoral system into the future. He doesn't have what it takes, never did and never will. Now, this is, of course, sour grapes. I, I think McConnell's disgusting, but McConnell has been an insanely effective operator for the Republican Party, uh, holding off on the Senate, the Supreme Court seat that should have been filled by Merrick Garland by Bar with Barack Obama's selection held it open for Trump to pick somebody, got hundreds of conservative judges approved. Like, I think McConnell's disgusting, but to say he's been ineffective is wrong. And Trump, this is just now sour grapes. Trump going on. My only regret is that McConnell begged for my strong support and endorsement before the great people of Kentucky in the 2020 election. And I gave it to him. He went from one point down to 20 points up and won. how quickly he forgets. Without my endorsement, McConnell would have lost and lost badly. Now his numbers are lower than ever before. He is destroying the Republican side of the Senate and in so doing, seriously hurting our country. 
Uh, likewise, McConnell has no credibility on China because of his family's substantial Chinese business holdings. He does nothing under this tremendous economic and military threat. Funny how Trump didn't care about that when he was working with McConnell and had McConnell's wife, Elaine Chow, as his secretary of transportation. Mitch is a dour, sullen and unsmiling political hack. And if Republican senators are going to stay with him, they will not win again. He will never do what needs to be done or what is right for our country. Where necessary and appropriate, I will back primary rivals who espouse making America great again and our policy of America first. We want brilliant, strong, thoughtful, and compassionate leadership. Prior to the pandemic, we produced the greatest economy. Okay, blah, blah, blah. Trump goes on with some stuff uh, that, that is just his normal bragging. This is very interesting. First of all, um, I think that it's important to understand that at a big picture level, Trump right now still represents the majority of the Republican electorate, 64 percent of the Republican electorate willing to leave the party if Trump starts his own party. Eighty nine percent of the Republican electorate wants Trump to stay significantly involved in politics. That being said, I have argued that a split in the Republican Party is good for the left if the left is ready to take advantage of it. The risk, of course, is if it goes neocon versus QAnon, right? Standard Republicans and then the Trump crazies, if they split, if it's QAnon versus neocon, if QAnon wins, if it grows and wins, it would be really bad for the United States and the world. That's the risk. Uh, I don't believe that that's likely to happen, but it remains to be seen as far as McConnell goes. You know, if Trump's going to primary, try to primary Republicans, I think that big picture, that's also good for Democrats and for the left. I don't think McConnell really cares about this. McConnell six years from now, when Mitch McConnell's 84 and he's running maybe for reelection and Trump is 80. I don't know that this internal uh, challenge or threat from Trump is going to really be that big of a deal. But that's the latest for now. And Donald Trump appearing to launch a civil war on his own Republican Party. Very, very interesting. And we'll have more coverage of this on our Instagram page. You can follow us on Instagram at David Pakman Show. We'll be back right after this. The David Pakman Show at davidpakman.com. If you are anything like me, you probably aren't thrilled with the idea of going into a doctor's office right now. And thankfully, there is a practical and affordable way to take control of your health and get personalized care from the comfort of your home. It's a service called Steady MD. They're one of our sponsors. You take a quiz, you get matched with a licensed primary care physician who understands your health needs. You have a one hour video call with your new doctor. You establish a meaningful relationship with them. And after that, your doctor is available to you anytime by text, phone or video chat. This is not a random doctor on call. Each doctor at Steady MD has a limited number of patients, so they actually have time to listen to you. You get the personal attention that you deserve. They can do almost everything an in-person doctor can do perform medical evaluations, talk to you about health concerns, send prescriptions to your home or local pharmacy and anything they can't do online. They'll quickly set you up with an in-person provider to do things like blood tests. As an example, you don't need insurance. It's only ninety nine bucks a month with no other fees or copays. There are so many 
practical advantages to using steady MD for primary care. And it's also so much more affordable. Go to steadymd.com slash Pacman to take the free quiz and see which doctor is right for you. I took their quiz. They matched me with a doctor who specializes in my particular health needs. The doctor they gave me is a really perfect fit for me. Again, that's steadymd.com slash Pacman. There's no risk, no commitment to get started. That's S T E A D Y M D dot com forward slash P A K M A N. What if you could read 10 books in just one sitting? That's exactly what one of my favorite apps lets you do. It's called Blinkist. And what they do is take thousands of popular nonfiction books. They condense them down into text or audio that you can consume in 15 minutes. Blinkist makes sure that you're getting all of the important core insights from each book. So it's perfect for exploring a book you otherwise wouldn't have time for. If there's a full book you're thinking about buying, you can use Blinkist to get a sample first. Just think how much you can enrich yourself by being able to soak up an entire nonfiction book in just 15 minutes. I recently checked out the book Podcast Marketing Strategy by Daniel Rolls and Kieran Rogers, and so useful, so particularly applicable to what I'm doing. Really recommend it. Blinkist has books on politics, philosophy, science. They have 27 different nonfiction categories and a subscription is only about eight bucks a month and you get access to the entire library. But you can try it totally free and get 25 percent off a subscription when you go to Blinkist.com slash Pacman. That's B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T dot com slash Pacman. Welcome back to the David Pakman show. There is a stunning new claim in an upcoming book that former uh, Trump advisor, strategist and really insider Steve Bannon believed that Donald Trump was already suffering from the early stages of dementia. This is written up uh, quite concisely in an article in The Guardian by Martin Pangeli. Um, where the article says former White House strategist Steve Bannon thought that Donald Trump was suffering from early stage dementia and campaigned to covertly remove him from office via the 25th Amendment, according to Ira Rosen, a veteran TV producer. Ira Rosen is the author of a new book uh, about his work at CBS called Ticking Clock Behind the Scenes at 60 Minutes. He spoke to the Yahoo News podcast Skullduggery and said to the host Michael Isikoff and Daniel Claydman that his book was not meant to be about any particular person, that it was supposed to be a view about what goes on inside this role of producer. And when the topic of Stephen Bannon came up, uh, Ira Rosen said Steve is a big talker, a big gossiper, and he became a source for many media people in Washington and uh, goes on to say that uh, Steve Bannon, quote, believed Trump was suffering from early stage dementia and that there was a real possibility he would be removed from office by the 25th Amendment, where the cabinet could vote. The president was no longer mentally capable of carrying out his duties. He also wrote that one uh, text message from Bannon said, 
You need to do the 25th Amendment piece. By the way, brother, I never steer you wrong. The idea being to get a piece aired on CBS uh, about the idea. This is quite, quite early in the game of using the 25th Amendment to remove Donald Trump. Um, this is so the, the, I mean, listen, there was speculation about Trump's cognitive faculties uh, for, for quite some time. And to hear that someone so close to Trump, at least for a period of his presidency, presidency, particularly the earlier part of his presidency, where the concerns were not as great about Trump's cognitive state, uh, it is it is stunning and it is incredible. Now, there is a very cynical analysis here. The the simplest analysis, the one that requires the fewest assumptions and complications is this is really what Steve Bannon believed. And he said it to Ira Rosen. Okay, that's that's the simplest. Here's a more cynical analysis that a few people emailed me. Imagine that Steve Bannon wants to help Trump in some way. Imagine that it is believed that at some point Donald Trump is going to face maybe multiple criminal charges. Uh, in the state of Georgia, the state of New York. We know about all these different investigations. We learned last week Trump is under criminal probe in Georgia for that supposedly perfect phone call asking for 11,000 votes. What better way to start mounting a defense for Trump than to start getting out there early before there's even any charges? Um, mitigating factors about Donald Trump's state of mind and intent, because there is no doubt. And I did. This is this is a cynical hypothesis. I'm not saying it's mine. It's one that I've been reading that some believe if you are going to prove some of what would be the likely crimes, maybe Trump would be accused of. And this is all very speculative. A lot of it will be state of mind and intent. What did Trump believe he was doing? What was Trump's understanding of the things he was saying and doing? If you can start planting seeds of doubt, listen, even Steve Bannon back in 2018, whenever this supposedly took place, even then Steve Bannon was talking about this guy might have early stage dementia. That would certainly be a juicy, ripe mitigating factor for a defense attorney. That, that's a cynical perspective. The idea that Trump's best defense, if he is charged, would be some kind of insanity de defense or or unable to even understand what's going on defense. My view is that Steve Bannon had an inside look at what we all had an outside look of. And there were a, a look at and there were real questions about Trump's cognitive state. The videos of Donald Trump saying, where is Rudy Giuliani when Rudy Giuliani is three feet across the table from him? Trump coming off of the plane and wandering off looking for his car when his car was right there and a Secret Service agent taking him by the by the arm and bringing him back to his car. Trump talking about the oranges of, it, of the investigation. Oh, you know, there's dozens of these examples. Maybe Steve Bannon just had an inside look at more of that exact same stuff. And we have other reports from inside the White House that sometimes when Trump would say, I never said that it wasn't that Trump was lying. It's that Trump's memory was gone. That's another claim that was made by people close to Trump. We don't know. We don't know. Um, but uh, there are both uh, cynical as well as just very literal uh, interpretations and understandings of what it is that we are seeing uh, alleged by Steve Bannon here. Maybe we will learn more about it in the time to come today. I have another beautiful example, really a perfect example of these attempts to play hardball with Joe Biden's press secretary, Jen Psaki, and it is not going well. And this one isn't just Fox News's 
Peter Ducey saying something obviously belligerent. This is a reporter actually trying to make something that is not controversial, controversial. The question is from Owen Jensen, who is a reporter for the religious channel EWTN. Owen wants uh, to know how can we be sure that covid stimulus money in the planned proposed one point nine trillion dollar covid relief bill? How can we be sure that none of that money will go towards abortions? Now, Jen Psaki does something smart. She asks, well, what specific sections are you even referring to where money could go to abortion? Let's listen and then discuss. I'll go ahead in the back. Yeah, good afternoon. Uh, Owen Jensen, EWTN Global Catholic Network. Mm-hmm. Uh, so regarding the American Rescue Plan, groups like pro-life groups, including the Susan B. Anthony list, very concerned that millions of U.S. taxpayer dollars will go to the abortion industry in violation of the Hyde Amendment. We know where President Biden stands on the Hyde Amendment, but that being said, can this administration right now guarantee if the American Rescue Plan is passed that no taxpayer dollars will go to the abortion industry? Which component of the American Rescue Plan are you referring to? I pull it up right here. Uh, a $50 million funding increase for the Title X program, uh, $750 million for global health activities, and billions in funding for community health centers without applying the Hyde Amendment. Well, the President's uh, view on the Hyde Amendment is well known, as you have stated in your question. He also believes that community health centers are a uh, key um, part of addressing the pandemic, of ensuring that people in communities uh, have access to vaccines, have access to treatment and information about uh, about um, making sure they're healthy and their loved ones are healthy. So that remains a priority to the president. He's shared his view on the Hyde Amendment. Uh, I don't think I have anything new for you. So Jen Psaki's later part of the answer is sort of OK, but it's her earlier question that's key. She asks, what parts of covid relief are you referring to? And the reporter mentions Title 10 global health initiatives and funding for community health centers. Now, two of those we can just dismiss out of hand because there's no evidence they don't make sense. He says, uh, does the money for global health initiatives maybe go towards abortions? There's no reason to think that that's the case. Does the money for community health centers maybe go towards abortions? Absent some reason to believe that that funding would go towards abortion. I think there's no reason to explore those any further. But the interesting one is Title 10. Title 10 is a federal grant program that's related. It's related to family planning. That's true. Uh, And it is part of the program that no Title 10 money goes to abortion directly. It is true that because Title 10 provides money for contraception and family planning, it reduces pregnancies and thus it reduces the number of people seeking abortions. And again, some people might say, well, listen, Title 10 allows money to go to Planned Parenthood and Planned Parenthood does abortions. But again, the the law is Planned Parenthood can't use Title 10 money to fund abortions. So this is the same tired talking point, a talking point about federal funds for abortion that religious media and Republican politicians love to trot out whenever the president is a Democrat, when there actually isn't anything to discuss. Title 10 money can't go towards abortions. There's no reason to think that if the title 10 money is in covid relief, it would be any different than anything else. Now, one last bonus clip for you from yesterday's briefing. Just another silly question 
a reporter tries to also play hardball with Jen Psaki because Joe Biden's planned address to a joint session of Congress is happening in March, not in February, as some initially thought. And it just kind of goes nowhere. Sorry, just wanted to follow up on uh, the president's appearance before a joint session of Congress in his primetime address last month in January, reading from prepared remarks. He said next month in my first appearance before a joint session, I will lay out my build back better plan. So it feels like he did say it was going to be in February. Well, I, what I was referring to is there was reporting on February 23rd, and I don't know where that date came from, which has never been inaccurate. So. Uh, it was ne the February 23rd wasn't just an inaccurate date. No one's fault. It just it just was and it created some confusion. So I was just trying to clarify it. Uh, obviously, the president looks forward to speaking to a joint session. We just don't have a date yet for when that will be. Jen Psaki continuing to just be kind of like the mom who's frustrated, but trying to remain patient with her kids. Maybe it's just a confusion. We're not blaming anybody. The address by Joe Biden will be in March. It's not a big deal. And there are rumors, of course, from from uh, Washington that Joe Biden doesn't want to do that address until covid relief is passed. And I would certainly understand that because the longer it goes without passing covid relief, uh, the more of a uh, the more of an early stain that that will be on the Biden presidency. It's time to pass it. It's time to pass it. I said it yesterday. I said it the day before. I'm not going to keep going on and on, but it is time to pass covid relief. Remember, during their first year in office, presidents typically don't do a state of the union, but they will sometimes do a joint address before the House and Senate, not called a state of the union. It could be really at any time. And I am looking forward to seeing Joe Biden's in March, but um, really trying to create a controversy where there isn't one. After the break, we are going to talk about the latest fabricated scandal from right wing media about the Biden administration. This one is so stupid that it really shows you the degree to which the right is desperate to create these scandalous narratives. We'll take a quick break. We'll do that soon. The David Pakman Show at davidpakman.com. You may not have known this, but when you see me sitting here on the show, I am often wearing shirts by a company called Teddy Stratford. I asked them to be a sponsor because they are by far my favorite shirts that I own with almost all other slim fit button up shirts I've worn. You get this annoying stretched out gap in the chest where the buttons are, which does not look good. But what makes Teddy Stratford shirts unique is this patented zipper that's hidden underneath the buttons, which actually prevents the chest from looking weird and stretched out like that. It looks really good. And just all around, they cut the entire shirt in a specific way that makes your upper body look a lot better. It's just a much nicer and more stylish fit than you get from other shirts. And they hand make everything with 100 percent Egyptian cotton and flat felled seams, which means it's going to be a lot more durable than other shirts and last a lot longer, which I really love. Go check them out at davidpackmancom slash Teddy. The link is in the podcast notes and they'll give you 15 percent off your first order if you use the coupon code Pacman at checkout. That's P-A-K-M-A-N. I want to take a second to tell you about one of our sponsors, SNH Masks. SNH Masks has everything you need when it comes to face masks and other protective gear for COVID-19, and they're giving my audience 20% off. SNH Masks is the company 
that I've personally been going to for face masks. I love and trust the products they sell, and that's actually why I reached out to them about being a sponsor. I've tried tons of different face masks this year, like many of you, and I still have not found a mask that is more comfortable or easier to breathe in than the washable cotton masks that they sell. It's made of a silky lightweight cloth that feels great on the skin, has a convenient adjustable strap. They also have disposable cloth masks, which are really comfortable, as well as all of the other gear like face shields, alcohol wipes, no touch infrared thermometers. And all of their prices are very reasonable. I also love SNH masks because they've donated over 60,000 masks to healthcare institutions. They're an excellent company. Shipping is just five bucks and shipping is free on orders over $150. You can get there by going to davidpackman.com slash mask. The link is in the podcast notes and you can save 20% on everything in their store when you use coupon code David. The David Pakman Show at davidpackman.com. Donald Trump and Rudy Giuliani are just at the beginning of their legal troubles. You heard a couple of weeks ago that Rudy Giuliani is under serious legal pressure for his false claims about Dominion voting machines and their alleged role in the 2020 presidential election. Now, Donald Trump and Rudy Giuliani are being sued for their role in inciting the January 6th riots. And it's not just one lawsuit. There is going to be, in theory, lots of legal money to be made by lawyers defending these guys over the next few years. If they actually pay their legal bills, let's talk about the two lawsuits that are going on. First and foremost, the NAACP uh, has sued Rudy Giuliani and Donald Trump, as well as two white supremacist groups citing their role in the January 6th insurrection. In addition to this, a Mississippi Democratic representative, Benny Thompson, in his personal capacity, has also sued Donald Trump and Rudy Giuliani. This lawsuit was filed yesterday morning in federal district court for Washington, D.C. It says Trump and Rudy, in collaboration with the Proud Boys and Oath Keepers, conspired to incite the riot to keep Congress from certifying the results of the 2020 presidential election. And it says that they're doing so specifically violated the Ku Klux, uh, I'm sorry, the Ku Klux Klan Act which is a statute designed to protect both formerly enslaved black Americans as well as lawmakers in Congress from white supremacist violence. Representatives Hank Johnson and Bonnie Watson Coleman are going to be joining the litigation uh, as plaintiffs in the coming days. And the lawsuit really spells out not just, you know, one of the one of the I don't know about interesting, but one of the notable aspects of the case made against Donald Trump by the House impeachment managers in Trump's second impeachment trial, which concluded on Saturday, of course, with Donald Trump's acquittal, was that the focus, understandably, because Trump was the one being tried, was on things Donald Trump said and did. But when you step back from that a little bit, and you see the bigger picture, which includes Rudy Giuliani. It includes Giuliani and Jenna Ellis flying around the country holding these bogus voter fraud hearings, which were not nobody was even under oath. They were not uh, formal hearings in any in any real sense of, of the word. That's a bigger part of the entire thing. 
And of course, Rudy Giuliani talking about trial by combat on January 6th, certainly a big part of uh, what what we uh, are expecting to see as part of this uh, lawsuit. And uh, this is admittedly a statute, the Ku Klux Klan Ku Klux Klan uh, Act that um, this is this is not uh, frequently used or cited, but it does at least superficially appear to be relevant here. And it specifically is for bringing civil actions. These are uh, lawsuits. These are not criminal charges. Now, separately, as you know, Donald Trump is under criminal investigation in the state of Georgia for that phone call he made to Georgia Republican officials asking them to find Eleven thousand seven hundred and eighty votes, I believe, is the exact number, the number he needed to uh, win the state of Georgia instead of Joe Biden. Um, We know of possible criminal investigations happening in New York. So this is likely going to go on for some time. Now, as far as the lawsuit for Trump and Rudy's inciting of the riots, there is a real question there about a possible class action for collective trauma. I had a class action attorney email me yesterday saying it would be really difficult. Who exactly has standing to be party to that class action? I mean, there's certainly some some questions there, uh, but that is that is an interesting legal question. There are going to be legal problems for Donald Trump and people around him for a very long time, and there is no doubt that for some period, Trump and and even the Republican Party is widely speaking going to dodge accountability in all ways. In 2022, we will see for the first time electorally whether some of these uh, people that came to power on the coattails of Trump. I'm, of course, talking about the uh, I don't know what, what what to call them exactly, but Madison Cawthorn, Marjorie Taylor Greene and Lauren Boebert. Um, we are go- if they got reelected. That would be a big sign that this Trumpian wing is not going to suffer any consequences for what they did in 2020. And we know that much of the American public has a short memory and that they may have moved on to who knows what will be going on in 2022. As far as Trump is concerned, Trump's legal problems aren't going away, even if this specific lawsuit isn't going to be more than a small thorn in his side. There may be a hundred thorns. Uh, could be a, a sort of death of a thousand paper cuts sort of situation. And uh, certainly Donald Trump is going to be racking up significant legal bills. Whether he will pay them, as always, remains to be seen. Desperate times call for desperate measures and times are really desperate right now for Fox News Channel. Now, you might be wondering why what's going on? Why are things so desperate for Fox? Fox News attached their wagon, so to speak, to the wrong horse that horse being Donald Trump and Donald Trump lost the election badly and then humiliated himself and the American right by waging the wacky baseless fight to try to steal the election from the rightful winner, Joe Biden, that we all observed together for a period of several months. And this had a number of different uh, repercussions. It led to many Republicans abandoning the Republican Party, but it also led to lots of Fox News viewers leaving Fox News for OAN and Newsmax, which more reliably welcomed and pushed and entertained any and every harebrained conspiracy theory about the election. So Fox News ad dollars are collapsing. Ratings for some of their key shows are way down from before the election, including the Sean Hannity program. And Fox News is in a panic. What do they do? What do we do? They have been asking. So they are going back to the strategy 
that got them to where they are in the first place. Manufactured scandals about Democratic politicians. Think Benghazi. Think Obama's tan suit. Think the war on Christmas, migrant caravans at convenient times, that type of thing. And the new one on Tucker Carlson's show. This is just something else. The new one that Tucker has concocted with his producers is that the relationship between Joe and Jill Biden that appears to be a loving relationship, a seeming return to a couple that likes each other, which is a big change from Donald and Melania Trump's relationship. The claim is that Jill and Joe Biden's relationship is actually a fake stage managed public relations campaign. Take a look at this. At the heart of this great American family is a love story. One man, one woman and the fires of passion that changed the course of our history. Not since Anthony dined with Cleopatra in downtown Antioch before they killed themselves, obviously, has a country witnessed a love story as moving and poignant as Jill and Joe's. No, ladies and gentlemen, Jill Biden is not Joe's caretaker. She isn't his nurse. She's his fully equal romantic partner. Together, they are like besotted teens. Yet at the same time, they are the wise and knowing parents of a nation. As a headline from Politico on Valentine's Day put it, quote, historians and relationship experts agree. The first couple's romantic gestures aren't just genuine, they're restorative. So it's official. The Biden's affection is totally real. It's in no way part of a slick PR campaign devised by cynical consultants determined to hide the president's senility by misdirection. <laughs> Not at all. Their love is as real as climate change. So I have a few thoughts on this. Uh, this is an example of the performative outrage that we talked about last week among the right of finding things to be outraged about that are just ridiculous. And secondly, understand that this doesn't get on TV on a whim. Uh, I, I don't know exactly how many minutes of commercials there are during Tucker Carlson's show, but if it's similar to many other cable news shows, you know, it's somewhere between uh, 18 and 23 minutes of commercials. That leaves about 37 or so minutes of, of content. Every single one of those 37 minutes is very highly produced, meaning that this story was pitched at some kind of morning meeting. Uh, and as a group, they decided, yes, let's go with this story. Let's go with this story about Joe and Jill Biden's relationship being some kind of fake act. And then, of course, being Tucker, he has to throw in their relationship is as real as climate change, which is part of how they are packing up, packaging up their response to the Texas power outages, which we talked about earlier in the show to blame wind power and claim that climate change is fake. But understand the other part of why they're actually doing this. They are panicking because not only is their guy out of power and not only have their guys followers increasingly opted for Newsmax and OAN because Fox coverage apparently isn't crazy enough. People also like what Joe Biden is doing, and this has Fox News in an absolute tizzy. Joe Biden has the highest initial approval rating of any president in 28 years. Fox News is panicking because of that. Joe Biden has 69 percent approval on his handling of covid under Joe Biden. Average daily vaccinations have gone from 890,000 on Trump's last day in office to 1.7 million vaccinations a day and continuing to climb. That's uh, that's basically doubling in 26 days in office and they continue to accelerate. Joe Biden is apparently eventually 
going to get covid relief done without Republicans and the country wants covid relief. But Fox News just continues to interview Republicans who are against it. So Fox News has to manufacture something. And this is what they've chosen to go with. Now, is this going to work to pull audience back from OAN and Newsmax? I have no idea. It's hard for me to put myself in the mindset of what someone who used to watch Fox News but was lured away by Newsmax and OAN. Like, what exactly do they want? What are they looking for? I don't know. It's hard for me to imagine what would bring them back, since to me it's crazy to have been lured away in the first place. But this appears to be the way that uh, many Fox News programs are going, and we predicted they would go back to the same stuff. The equivalent of the Obama wore a tan suit and liked the wrong mustard type of thing. Uh, the manufactured scandals, the fake or performative outrage. They're doing the debt and deficit, small government, uh, the war on Christmas and religious freedom, all of these different things that they abandoned for the most part during uh, Donald Trump's presidency. So we'll see what Fox News, Fox News looks like in two months. We're already starting to get a sense of the playbook they're going back to in the um, uh, aftermath of the Trump presidency. And then the next question will be, if Fox does a what is it that Newsmax and OAN will do? I don't know the answer, but it's going to be some wild times. We have a voicemail number that you can call anytime. That number is two one nine two David P. I continue to hear from folks who are not as convinced as I am that a split in the Republican Party and a Trump party would be good for the left. Here's a caller asking about exactly that issue. Hey David, this is Stuart from Wisconsin. So I just watched your segment um, regarding the Republican Party and 64% possibly leaving uh, for uh, Trump Party. Right. And I know many say that is a good thing for the Dem Party because it would, you know, split up the votes of the Republican Party. But I don't know if that's the case. I think that uh, it may be the case that it's good for the Democratic Party. However, I think that this Trump Party may be a problem from the standpoint of violence. I mean, can you imagine? Okay. Uh, so I think they said, can you imagine take, using one of my my phrases there? As I said earlier today, in the fight between neocon and QAnon, which is essentially what Republicans versus Trumpists would be, if QAnon gets big and becomes dominant on the right, I completely agree that there is a very real risk of increased violence in the United States, as evidenced by the January 6th riots. That's a different question as as to what it means politically for the left and the Democratic Party. I think without question, uh, if the right is fractured, listen, it's already borderline. The right already lost the White House and the Senate in 2020, the way that they are currently sort of assembled. So I think that already the ability of the Republican Party without some modifications to win national elections is really in question. If you fracture it at all, it is good for the Democratic Party if they are actually set up and ready to take advantage of it. There is no question that there is a whole other set of considerations. And if you see the QAnon wing of the Republican Party grow and become further weaponized, even against other Republicans that they see as traitors, it could be extraordinarily dangerous for this country. And it will keep the hate group watchers very, very busy for long periods of time to come. So I, I, I don't disagree with the call. I just think the political considerations are different ones. We have a great bonus show for you today. We will talk about Joe Biden extending protections for homeowners. 
very uh, interesting set of changes that is being made. We will also talk about a warning that uh, a January 6th commission to investigate the Trump riots may be quite difficult politically. We'll talk about why. And a Texas mayor has resigned after calling power outage victims lazy. At least the guy's taking personal responsibility, right? All of those stories and more on today's bonus show. Get instant access by becoming a member at joinpacman.com. I'll see you then.